The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'm your host, James Anderson, and we are fortunate enough to be joined this week by Phil Dussault, who obviously won the NFPC main event overall last year, uh, won most of his leagues, had probably the best fantasy baseball season of all time. Phil, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, James? Doing great. Uh, as you know, we've been dealing with some technical difficulties here. Uh, hopefully this time works out, but uh, really appreciate you sticking around. Uh, my first question are you getting tired of everyone kissing your ass all the time on Twitter and in podcasts? It hasn't been too bad. Uh, it's been nice to get all the all these opportunities to get on on um, on nice podcasts, and they're probably uh, podcasts I wouldn't be on if if I hadn't had this kind of success. Um, the one part that the, the one part I don't like, well, two things. One is not being able to be fully open and sharing everything, and the other one is. Um, if I get into debate about strategy or a player and then someone just says, well, obviously, you know what you're doing, you must be right. But I mean, I, I have as many insecurities about my player evaluation or strategy. I'm always, I'm always questioning everything uh, just like everyone else. So it's not because I will not say that I'm, I'm feeling uh, good and that everything's uh, perfect. I keep trying to get better and um, I want to have debate with people about players, about strategy, and I'm always open-minded about, about, changing things and doing different things so just one thing that i've sort of realized over the years from being kind of on twitter and like following a lot of people and seeing people you know tweet out their opinions and stuff like that is sometimes i wonder if being on twitter actually makes me better maybe <laughs> makes me worse um do you have any sort of opinion on that in terms of just if someone's looking to really up their game uh, is it generally a good thing to be out there and be a part of the discourse? Um, I'd say being on on Twitter and just getting into random debates probably doesn't make you a much better player. Um, <laughs> I think it's more about the connections you can make on there. Um, like there's three or four friends I talk to all the time in DMs and on, on Discord, um, and we make each other better. And I wouldn't have those connections without Twitter. Um, but just debating with random people on Twitter probably isn't very productive and is more, it's probably more likely to affect your mood and make you angry than, than it is to make you a better, a better fantasy baseball player. Yeah. I mean, I think that that, 
that makes sense. Um, now you're, I mean, you've probably made so many connections over the past year or so, right? Like, I mean, how many, you know, how, how large has your circle grown uh, since um, that awesome season? The, the people I talk to all the time are still like three or four of them um, with Toby, with Steve Weimer and uh, Rob DiPietro, who has the, the pole hitter podcast. Um, and then there, there's a bunch of other people um, like just doing the, the Rotowire podcast last year with Jeff Erickson was like a dream come true for me. Um, and then doing this here with you, um, doing the CBS podcast, uh, talking frequently with, with Vlad, um, like all the names I heard about. When I started playing uh, five years ago, the people I looked up to, uh, now those people are reaching out to me. Um, that That's really cool. So uh, I'm kind of a pessimist um, or maybe just not that much of an optimist, but I, I kind of like thinking about stuff like, you know, what's the worst version of this and that type of thing. Um, you know, a lot of people probably look up to you and, really trust everything you have to say, but what's what's the worst piece of analysis or advice you've seen a prominent analyst dish out so far this offseason? Um, let me think. Um, the, the thing about, um, I guess I've heard a lot of people say, I'm not paying up second round price for closers. That's crazy. But it's all rel- relative. Like um, paying second round for Liam Hendricks isn't bad when um in the 10th round the relievers are getting are don't even have a job or are most likely to lose the job within like a month so it's all um it's all relative like second round closers sure it seems early compared to what we're used to but you have to get closers at some point so um you just have to compare that it's the same thing with catchers um people don't want to pay up for sal perez I can't tell you whether or not it's a good idea without knowing where the other catchers are going. So it's all, you just, it's, I mean, we've seen it in, in football for the past 15 years where quarterbacks are in the most points and now people stop draft, drafting them because they know it's all, it's all about replacement value. So um, it is there. People understand baseball, but I still hear analysts talking about, oh, you can't pay second round for closers or third round for catchers, but it's all, it's all about comparing where, where the other players that position are being drafted. Man, you probably just put a ton of people on blast just with that one. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, you do you you hear that. Like, I see that all the time. I see that, like, you know, almost daily. Like, anytime anyone tweets a draft board, um, someone, <laughs> someone's complaining about uh, where the top closers are going, where the top catchers are going. Um, if you are looking at a draft board, can you give me one player who's going inside the first 100 picks or so who you'd most harshly judge a fantasy manager for having on their team? Um, like the easy ones are, are the injury prone guys uh, like Jacob DeGrom, but you always have to put that into context because the, the ADP we have right now is $150 draft champions, which comes with an overall and a lot a, a big percentage of that 150 goes to the overall. So, if you're taking Grom in the in the mid to late second round, you have potentially top, like the number one overall player if if he's healthy. Um, so it's a, a risk worth taking. Um, the one I I don't like is as weird as it's going to sound. It's Mike Trout. Um, so he was supposed to be out six to eight weeks, and he missed four months. Um, 
we think he's healthy, but we're not sure. Um, even if he is healthy, um, he had eight stolen bases in, in his last 750 plate appearances. So, and now he's coming off a calf injury. So, like the days of Mike Strout stealing 20, 30 bases are gone. So, you're paying early second round for even if he hits 35, 40 home runs with 300, uh, 300 average, um, he's a mid to late first round. So, like, the upside, like, best case scenario, you're getting a value about five to six picks. But the, the downside is um, a guy who's who's hurt and, and doesn't play much. So, um, like, I prefer Acuna at that point because if, if we're talking about high upside, if, if Acuna is healthy, last year he was going one or two with, with Tati. So, that's the upside with Acuna. Uh, the upside I don't see with, with Trout, even, even if he's healthy. That's uh, that's interesting, and that's uh, we might we might come back to that here. <laughs> um, I want to just quickly ask you about KDS, uh, Kentucky Derby, um, the, the way that you figure out your draft order on on the NFBC. Uh, obviously, you're you're someone who plays it. Who you know you're going to do a ton of drafts um, between now and opening day. So you know getting the wrong spot in the draft and, and one of those isn't going to make or break your your season but do you have any sort of preference in, in terms of where the best place to pick uh this year is um right now i think there's a pretty clear top seven with uh turner tatis jram bichette soto cole and burns um vlad is there in terms of value but just that the lack of stolen bases makes it harder to to build a team around him. Um, it so force forces you to get stolen bases in. So I I, I expect him to drop a little bit in in the main events, um, in in the next uh, in two months I guess. Um, so I'd say that top seven is is probably my target right now. Um, in the bottom of the first round, Otani is a bit of wild card. Um, he's got the the great power speed. Um, it's just hard to evaluate how much that that UT only um, hurts him in terms of value because he's up there with the other seven in terms of of pure value, I think. But the the UT only is so hard to evaluate. We're just guessing based on experience, and if if you've had a UT only player that's been clogging your your UT spot all year, um, you're probably fading Otani. Or if you've had a good player in, in your UT spot, then you're okay with drafting him. So it comes from our personal experience. There's no other way to, to really measure it, um, how much we should downgrade him for that. So, um, but like, I'll, I like the top seven, but I'm doing multiple drafts. So I usually try to get like one early, one middle, one late, uh, just spread it because it, it affects. Um, we always plan the first two rounds, but you try to go to five, six, seven rounds. Um just because usually you in, in the fifth round, usually you won't reach a full round for someone. So if you have players that usually going, I know late fifth, early sixth, then um, you probably would need a pick in that range to, to make, to get, get the proper value out of the pick. Yeah. I was going to ask like how many, how many rounds are you looking into the draft in terms of evaluating the, the KDS placement? Um, I mean, I guess you, you kind of, um, answered that yeah i guess because there's usually i most it depends on the year but most years i usually see drop off around pick 100 
So like six or seven rounds, um, I'll have a plan for those. Um, and that's usually when you, by, by the sixth round, you need to have your stolen bases. You need to have, to have your, 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 at least an ace or two, and you need to have your saves, at least the way, um, the way the ADP is right now. So I usually plan six or seven rounds to, to get those three things. And then after that, it's easier to, to fill in needs. And, and you, once you get to, to, to pick 100 or, or 120 or whatever, you can, you can reach, 10, 15, 20 picks for, for the guy that, that fits your team the best. So at that point, KDS doesn't, doesn't really matter whether you're picking early or late. And if you, so you were saying like, you kind of want to be spreading it out, right? Like you want to kind of diversify um, sort of the areas where you're drafting from. So like you would, if you had your choice, you would, would you want it to be like a 33, 33, 30, 33 split in terms of like early, middle, late? Um, roughly. Yeah. Um, sometimes if I like the early picks better, like I said, a top seven, uh, then I might be looking at like, like two, six. And if I like, uh, I don't know, Otani or, or Harper, then maybe 10 instead of, of, of 13 or 15. Or if, if there's years where I prefer the late picks, then I might go to like five, 12 and 15 or something like that. But I, I do try to, to spread it around, but I just move a little bit depending on, on what I prefer, whatever I prefer earlier, earlier, late. Uh, and it really varies depending on the year. Now I'm hoping to uh, meet you in Vegas here in in a couple months. Um, if you're doing a a high stakes draft, would you prefer to do it in person? Um, I know everyone loves that that weekend in Vegas, uh, that last weekend in March, or would you prefer to do it online? Um, if I'm doing just one and it's my first main event. It, uh, Honestly, the, the, I prefer in person for, for myself. I prefer in person for the experience and I feel like I can beat anyone. So I don't mind the competition. Um, if you're doing just one and if you're, it's your first main event, the, the, it can be easier to do it online. Um, there's a, a bit of a stress in person if you're not ready. Um, just having the large room with other drafts and 14 other people around the table staring at you when you're getting to make uh, make getting ready to make your pick. Um, it's definitely different, but it, the experience is awesome just meeting people. Um, so it, it depends on on your personality and how how ready you are and everything. But uh, for me, I prefer in person. And I know we're supposed to have dinner together in uh, in Vegas, for, from what I heard. <laughs> yeah, uh, Todd Todd told me to to say hey. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll be fun. Um, really looking forward to that. Uh, now I know you've, you've kind of teased some of your kind of process stuff, um, before, but just kind of what I've noticed, or at least from reading the tea leaves of what you have said, is it fair to say that you largely trust, uh, per plate appearance projections for established hitters, the, the type of projections you can get publicly and then do a lot of the performance projection work yourself on pitchers? Uh, my process has evolved over the last two years, mainly the, the short season sort of forced me to do, to start doing all my, my own stuff. Uh, but it is a lot different. It, it is a lot easier to be different uh, from the market in pitching than it is in hitting. Like I can, I like I've crunched numbers and come up with my own formulas and everything I've done. I'm not that far apart from, from steamer and from the bat. It's just harder for hitters. So all the num numbers are out there. Um, for pitchers, there's so much more things to look at. 
um, that it's easier. And like I, I had um, last year, I had Kevin Gosman as my my fifteenth starting pitcher. Um, I have others that they work out. I'm just using an example that that I was right about to, because it sounds better. But um, like no one else had that, so it's easier to be different from, from the market um, in pitching. Uh, you can look at pitch mix, you can look at velo, you can look at uh, arm angle, so many different things um, that can make you different th- from the from the masses. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. And, um, you know, even just sort of like sample size, like you don't need multiple seasons of a pitcher, right? Like yeah. doing the exact same thing before you could buy into what they're doing to some extent. Yeah, exactly. Like some for pitchers, sometimes twenty or thirty innings is enough to see that he's made a change. Most of the time, it, it sticks. Sometimes it doesn't. But um, for hitters, you can have six hundred plate appearances, and you can say, "Well, he got lucky." Um, so um, again, that that's one way to get an edge as well to to not buy into to bad results for for a hitter. But it's it's harder to, to do that for a hitter than than for a pitcher. So. I've been vocal this off season about there being um, too much noise in general, in terms of the triple a hitting production last year. Uh, it was just such a weird uh, environment where you were seeing uh, lots of, lots of the top prospects just performed better at triple a relative league average than they did at double a, uh, which you don't usually see. And so um you know, I, I think they're. I don't want to dismiss projections entirely, but like I think it's it's dangerous to rely too much on projection systems um, for seeing how hitters who reached AAA last year might fare in the majors this year. Um, what's your process for projecting um, prospects who have either no sample in the majors or a very small sample in the majors? I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and I've never heard you mention that. So when I saw the question. Um, I looked into it because I've been relying on steamer for, for young players. Uh, but then I saw your question. I'm like, oh, I'll look into it. James is a smart guy. I want to see if, if, if this makes sense. Um, so I looked back from 2012 to 2019. I looked at hitters with at least 50 plate appearances in both AAA and the majors in the same year. Um, and then the WRC plus in MLB was 74% of what it was in triple a so someone who had a 125 wrc plus in triple a um had an average of 93 wrc plus in the majors um and most years it was actually it was actually really consistent like between 72 percent and 76 percent. i think in seven of those eight years so it was it was like a consistent number the sample is large enough to make a judgment off of that um in 2021 that number was 67 percent instead of 74 so that um that young guy who had a 125 wrc plus in triple a uh we expected a 93 but he actually had an 84 wrc plus um in the majors last year um so that what you said just totally makes sense and i've i've said this before um i said i do podcasts to learn from people and make changes and improve my formulas and when i i tested that and i fixed my formulas i've been relying on on steamer for young for young players but what that basically tells me that AAA numbers last year um, are overvalued. So um, I had to downgrade a couple of players because of that. And I, I know like it's not the way I did it isn't an exact science, but 
um, it does tell me that the gap between AAA and the majors was larger last year than it, it had been in the past uh, at least seven or eight years. Yeah. Nice. I I helped the robot. Um, <laughs> that'll be my my claim to fame this year if, uh, if nothing goes right in my leagues. Um, why, why do you think that? It, like I was th- I was trying to figure out why because I did the same thing for pitchers that didn't get the same results. So my my sort of conclusion was that. Um, like for AAA pitchers, they, well, I guess like all pitchers, they didn't pitch in 2020, they limited innings last year. So the pitchers that would normally pitch, I don't know, 120 innings in AAA, they limited to 90 innings and the extra 30 went to a guy that was normally in AA and that moved up to AAA. Um, so the pitching was weaker as a whole. So the hitting numbers were, were better than they would be in a normal year. I don't know if, if that makes sense or if you had another theory for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, the easiest way to sort of say it is the gap. I think the gap between AAA pitching and big league pitching was larger last year than it has been. Um, Trying to dissect like all the different reasons why that was, I feel like there's just a a ton of reasons that all kind of um, came together at the same time. But uh, for instance, I mean, I think a ton of, the pitchers who are at AAA just don't, didn't have um, anywhere near like your your average big leaguers amount of stuff um, from a velocity standpoint, just from a quality of the breaking ball standpoint. Um, whereas I think, like, and what I was saying, like the reason that it kind of jumped out to me was I would just notice I'd be evaluating a bunch of different hitting prospects who had played at AA and at AAA last year. And just so many of them, um, you know, well over 50%. It just, you know, anecdotally, it seemed so many of them were better at AAA than they were at AA. And then I kind of went and looked at, like, where are all the best pitching prospects pitching last year? You know, most of the best pitching prospects didn't make it to AAA at all, but a lot of them were hanging out at AA for a good chunk of the year. So I do think there was, like, a bit of a drop-off just from a stuff standpoint of the pitching at AAA versus the pitching at AA. Um, and then obviously just that gap from a guy that was having success against AAA pitching, um, going up to the majors. I mean, we saw just a ton of guys really fall off in a, in a huge way, uh, last year. So, um, I think the, the pandemic definitely played a role, but, um, you know, also teams were kind of using AAA, I think more as just kind of a, a place where they would send their like weakest relievers or whatever, like just to kind of get working and then they bring them back up and stuff. And the guys that they really had like a bright future, but weren't necessarily going to contribute in the majors. They just kept those guys at double A. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different reasons for it. Okay. Um, that makes sense. But it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm encouraged that you uh, did the research and it, and it all kind of checked out on your end as well. All right. Uh we're going to head to a quick break uh, and a quick message from our sponsors. But when we come back, uh, we're going to get um, some kind of I'm going to give Phil a bunch of different sort of widely held uh, strategy opinions. And he is going to weigh in as to how uh, legitimate those are. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with the user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want to break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at baccarat. WinBet is currently available in seven states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T, WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, Phil. Um, this is uh, probably the part of the podcast I'm looking forward to the most. Um, you know, we, there's there's such an echo chamber out there uh, among kind of smart fantasy analysts. And I wonder sometimes if we're all just kind of doing the same thing too much. Um, but I want to kind of like throw out these ideas at you and just kind of get your opinion as to sort of how valid um, these sort of widely held truisms are all right so the the first one is you need to draft at least one ace that's a big false for me um i know i've i've sort of made my name from drafting pitching earlier than than most people um but like uh one of the things i hear all the time is i'd be happy with this guy's my sp3 but not my sp2 but this isn't a major league rotation where you need um, like three aces to win play to to win a playoff series, and you need at least one or two dominant ones, and all that stuff. Like, if I have Joe Musgrove as my SP one instead of Brandon Woodruff, obviously I'd prefer Woodruff. But if I can make it up with a better SP five, SP six, SP seven, like all their stats count evenly. So, um, 
you can make it up elsewhere even if you don't have an ace um it comes down if if for whatever reason i like a bunch of pitchers between picks 100 and 200 then i'll be drafting in that range and my sp1 might be might be musgrove and then my sp2 through sp6 might be all in that range so um I'll have a worse ace, but I'll have a better SP5, SP6. So you can always, you, you can make up elsewhere. It's about the whole team coming together. Um, it doesn't matter where, like, numbers don't matter. It's it's like the, the rank on on your roster doesn't matter. It doesn't look as pretty when when the, the guy at the top of your NFBC uh, pitching staff isn't an ace. But if, if, the, if the ninth guy down there is better than everyone else's ninth guy, uh, it, it works just as well. That makes a ton of sense. Um, all right, so this next one, you need to prioritize speed with your position players in the first six to seven rounds. That one I agree with. Um, uh, last week on the on the Draft Champions podcast, I came up with this with this acronym I called KADU, um, which stands for Keep All Draft Options Open. Um, in my projections. Between round seven and twenty uh, in a fifteen-team league, uh, there's about twenty percent of the player pool that I have projected for for ten or more stolen bases. So, if you don't get your speed early, you need about maybe eight, ten stolen bases from from every player in that range. Um, so, when you end up doing that, you're cutting down eighty percent of the player pool, um, and that's just not something you want to do because if if someone slips by two rounds that you normally like but you just can't draft them because he doesn't have speed um then you're losing value there so the, the, the it's it's hard to find speed late you can find it but if you get speed early then you you keep your you keep your draft options open for for the middle rounds and i think that's where that's where you can win your draft um and sometimes just the, the draft has has gifts for you uh and you have to be in a position to take advantage of them I'm glad that you uh, went with that answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. There's nothing worse than having to reach for a hitter who you don't really buy into their skills at all um, in the middle rounds, just because they might be able to get you 20 steals. And we've all made that. Like you've all made the mistake if we're picking like this year. If I have a pick at like. 10 or 11, if I see Vlad there, it's going to be hard to pass him up. And then if I see Devers in the second round, it'll be tempting to draft him. But then you just put yourself in a position where you're just looking, all right, who's got 10 or 15 stills? Ah, this guy, I don't really like him. But yeah, I'll I'll take him because I need the stills. And you're just doing that for for like the next 10 rounds. And and I've done it with with batting average and with power uh, where you just cut down the player pool. Okay, I need I need all guys with 25 or more hormones, but you're just passing up so much value elsewhere when you're, you're forcing yourself to, to do something. All right. This next truism, it's smart to take at least one early catcher. I'd say false. Uh, you can do it, but it's not a must. Um, last year on my overall main event winning team, I had uh, Elias Diaz in 24th and Jose Tribuno in 29th. Um, and yes, I chased catchers all year in fab until I found, uh, Dalton Varsho. And yes, I wasted fab and yes, it was a pain. Uh, but the rest of my team was so good that, um, it was fine. So, and I guess one of the reasons my team was good is because I, I 
I took other positions early. So if I taken catcher in the eighth, I might have missed out on on a player that that turned out to help my team. So um, I I try to like positions don't matter that much, especially catcher. You can find catchers late. You can find catchers in fab if the value is there early. I've taken I've taken JTR in the third when the value was there, uh, but it's not a must. You just play play the draft. Or I'm I'm more worried about about the the balance in categories than. Uh, than specific positions. So what's what what's your sort of reaction? I I, I mean I, obviously you're you're right. Everything you said is is on point. But what's your you know when you do the sort of auction calculator on Fangraphs and you use like Steam or whatever, it's going to spit out that you know Salprez is worth like a late first round pick basically by by auction dollars. Um, does that like is that kind of close to what your own um, projections say? But then it's just about, well, yeah, he might be worth that in in a vacuum. But um, I'm also passing on other stuff if I if I just follow that rigidly. Um, I have it differently. The way I do mine is I always um, adjust my values compared to the market. So if 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 the calculator says that Salpera is a good value in the first um and then says jtr should be there in second round um and then uh like let's see another catcher that uh, i don't have adp right now but uh like you know what i mean like if if every catcher if the calculator tells that every catcher should be drafted two or three rounds earlier than they're actually being drafted then wherever you make the pick you're going to get value so um in that case i just bumped down like all the catchers buy three or four bucks to match the market. And at that point, you can really compare. Um, okay, I have Sal about where he goes in, in the late third. But then I have, um, I don't know, Christian Vasquez around earlier that, than where he's actually going. So the real value is there with Vasquez. It's not there with Perez. So I think it's just all about balancing with ADP. What, what you want to do is at the end of the draft, um, look back and say, I got, I got the best value out of my team where um, – where the players were going in that draft. That's that's awesome. Um, all right. The next truism, uh, it's smart to take a couple closers within the first eight to 12 rounds. Yes. Um, I've, I've done it all the time. I've drafted closers early, especially since, since uh, 2020, the short season um, where you, where you had to get, saves early because the season was, was so short so i figured that the guys that opened the season with the job would keep it um even if they kept it for only a month it was almost half the season so uh i guess i started to drive close zero uh in 2020 it kind of stuck um in the context of of an overall competition where you have to get saves then you you just pay the market price and usually that's early um Usually the guys that go in rounds 10 to 20 are all the guys that we think are going to be closers and that the beat writers think are going to close, And but we don't know. Um, last year, the early closers paid off and the really late closers, like in rounds 25 to 30, there were a bunch of guys that we didn't expect that ended up starting the year with the job. So um, I don't like to play that game that much of, of speculating on closers. So my my strength is is finding late late hitters and late starters. So I'd rather pay up for closers and um, deal with the rest later. Um, but yeah, I, I like having that those those guaranteed saves on uh, well, 
guaranteed saves in quotation marks uh, on my team. Hey, we have the we have the same strengths, me and <laughs> me and the robot. Um, now, very uh, very different uh, levels of of strengths, but uh, <laughs> strengths nonetheless. Um, yeah, don't, I tell think you, don't tell yourself short. <laughs> well, so I mean, do you? You said you don't like to kind of play that game, like of, of trying to find late closers. Do you spend much time trying to sift through all that information and like see if maybe there is a guy going in the twentieth round where you're like, actually, kind of think this is going to be the closer, or do you just not? You think it leaves too much to chance to end up with that guy as your second closer in the event that that you're wrong. Um, right now, I'm not doing it. It's in draft champions league that. Um... Eric Hosmer in round 22 is going to be valuable at some point in the year, assuming he he stays healthy and, and nothing changes with the Padres. But um, like you need that playing time. Once once the, the leagues with Fab start, uh, then Eric Hosmer isn't very useful because I can find the same player in Fab in, in week two. So um, in Fab leagues, then those those picks in, in rounds um, maybe 22 to round 30 um that's where i'll start playing that game at that point we have more information as well you can look at at usage in spring training you can look at manager quotes and try to get a guess um like one of the, my big picks like three years ago was was greg holland uh round 30 in the main event um everyone was assuming it was archie bradley um i couldn't find a single quote where they were saying it's going to, it's going to be archie bradley so i'm like why not take the old guy in round 30 and see what happens it worked out he he probably got 20 saves the first three months and then he he just started being he was horrible after that and i dropped him but those 20 saves or whatever it was were very valuable so um yeah well once once we get closer to march i like to play that game uh but at this point it's just not worth it there's not enough information and those picks and draft champions are too valuable to to take uh random guesses all right i'm i'm on board with that uh all right, the next one, players with increased risk of injury, especially pitchers, should be avoided in the early to mid-rounds. It's mostly true, um, but we have to make a difference between pitchers that are currently injured and those that are we think are more injury-prone. Um, Jacob DeGrom right now in high money leagues, I'm staying away. Um, but if he's throwing 100 in March – uh, I'd probably be okay taking him top five. Um, even if he's a perceived injury risk, um, if in spring he shows me he's fully healthy, I'll have no problem taking him. Um, so I, I, I believe in the um, it, that, that currently injured pitchers, um, you don't know what to expect and it can often get worse. But once a pitcher is warmed up and, and throwing 100, um, I tend to believe that and if he gets hurt in, in three months then then so be it but um that's kind of where i stand there, there's i mean for hitters i don't think we're as good at projecting his re- injuries as, as we think we are there's like there's a handful of players like like buxton and kiermaier just because of the way they play they they're more likely to get hurt uh but like stanton was really injury prone and he had two two seasons of almost 700 plate appearances then he had injuries again but um my i i yeah, staying away from currently injured pitchers. But other than that, I'm I'm mostly um, and I'm, I'm not trying to to play doctor as much as uh, as others I, I've seen on on Twitter. 
Shots fired at Dr. Dave. <laughs> um, all right, the, the last one. Uh, taking players with little to no track record of MLB performance in the first 10 rounds is unwise. Um, mostly true, um, especially in 15-team leagues where replacement value is so much lower. Um, they're, they're, they're just high-variance players. So if, if you have too many of those in 15-team league, you can then end up with, with say, three of them uh, ending up in AAA with the, within two months. Then you have three, spot, three spots to fill with, with such, such low replacement value. Uh, and in 12-team league, where you can find players with regular bats on fab, um, there's just a ton of them available. I, I'd be more likely to take, to take chances like that. Can you remember ever taking, like... Um let's say in the past like two or three years ever taking like a top prospect in the first 150 picks or so? No. Um, honestly, this is the first that I've, I've, um, I've kind of done it. Not, not in my Hamilton leagues, but it's the first I've really, I've really considered it. And that was before I adjusted my projections based on, uh, based on your question earlier. So, uh, I probably won't do it this year. I, um, either, but no, I've never, um, last year I draft mate, well, Alec Bohm last year I drafted, but he, he played, I'm pretty, he played in 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he doesn't really count though. Yeah. But like, not, not like the, not, not the hot prospect that, that, that we've only seen in double A, triple A, all really draft those guys. I like, I, I wasn't drafting Acuna, um, Tatis, um, who else? Chris Paddock was, was, was the, the hot one, uh, one year where he's just moving up. Um, no, most of the time I avoid those guys. So, yeah. So like the, the Bobby Witt of, yeah. of this year. I, um, I considered with my early drafts, but now with, with my adjusted projections, uh, he moved down quite a bit. So uh, I'm not like in a 12 team league, I'd, I'd actually consider it or even in a, in a 150 DC just for, for the high upside. But uh, unless his price really moves down for a main event, which with that, which I don't expect to, I think it'll go the other way. Um, he's not a guy I'll be, tar- I'll be targeting. All right. So uh, this next short segment is going to basically just be an opportunity for you to tell me why I was wrong about a couple of picks <laughs> I've, I've already made. Um, you've, you've kind of already hinted at uh, taking the other side on these. Um, and they're not ones that I felt good about, which is why I wanted to ask you in the first place. But um, so in the the first draft I did this year, you were also in it. Uh, I believe I was picking eighth um, and I was deciding between uh, Otani and Burns. And I went with Otani. Uh, you basically already kind of spoiled the fact that you would have gone with Burns there. And you know, we were kind of talking a little bit about the, the util factor with Otani. Is is that kind of the the swing piece for Burns, or would you still take Burns over Otani if Otani was like outfield eligible? I, if if Otani was an outfielder, um, I'd be taking him. I'd have him. Uh, let's see. I have him sixth best hitter um, if I take out the, the UT only. Um, so right up there with, with Soto and Bichette. Um, that that's where I take him if he was outfield. Um, it's hard to 
I, I had the same decision in my last DC. I went Burns, but I can't really argue against Otani because the, the, the upside is there and it's so hard to the pitching is hard to evaluate. Like if if the if the Angels with the five man rotation and he's made, making um two starts in a week at least four or five times, um, then though those two start weeks are better are better than than than, than a hitting week in terms in terms of pure value. So um if you get extra there then it makes up for the UT only. Um, but I, I, I sort of want to see it as, as a bonus, not something to count on. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd go Burns in that decision, but I can't, I like, my, my guess is on this as good as yours because he's, he's, he's such a, a unique player to evaluate. Um, we're honestly just, just all guessing. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's totally true with him. It's such a I don't, we've never I don't think we've ever seen a player kind of with his um, sort of profile coming off that type of year, like in the middle of his twenties, and sort of seeing yeah. how how he does try to repeat it. Um, and then this this last one, uh, so it was a it was the last four hundred dollar DC I did. Um, I started off with. Uh, Max Scherzer and a couple other hitters I wanted, like Albies and Machado were gone. And I was deciding between Mike Trout and Starling Marte um, as my first hitter following an ace in round one. I went with Mike Trout. I'm guessing you're going to tell me I should have gone with Starling Marte. Um, I actually don't like either one. Um, so I, I probably would have gone with Marte, but they're, what, what pick was it? Uh, you remember? Um, it was it was like early twenties. Okay. So it was like it was middle middle second. It wasn't early. Second. Okay, that's that's not as because he's been going early second. So um, I guess middle second isn't the there's middle second. There's some room for upside. Um, I'm sort of staying away from both just because uh, both are. I don't like the hat. Like I, I like to count at least more than six hundred plate appearances for my for my second round pick. Marte's always seems to have some kind of injury. He'll he'll play, but uh, you can't count on six fifty or seven hundred plate appearances from him. Um, the guy, the guys that you wanted that that didn't make it are 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 the guys I'd be much more likely to to target in that range. But um, yeah, sometimes you get left with uh, with decisions you don't like to make. Should I have taken like Whit Merrifield or Cedric Mullins there? Because oh, um, it was it was it was pretty bad. It was yeah, maybe I should have gone with another pitcher there. I, but I think the, yeah. the pitchers I wanted were gone too. Um, it might be there's for me there's like a gap there. Um, like after, I guess um, Robert uh, Machado. Devers, Albies, um, and even I guess Freddie, Freddie Freeman. Um, there seems to be pretty big drop off between those guys and like the the Whitmerry Field um, and the, the Mullins. Um, yeah, and and that at that spot I probably would have gone with another pitcher, even though I, I usually like to get one one of each in the first two rounds uh, when it works out that way. But yeah, that that that's the downside. Like I said, I, I like the the top seven picks, but um i don't like the bottom of the second round so um i 
that's going to be something depending on on how ADP adjusts. Maybe there there's guys that I've been targeting in the early to middle of the third round that are going to move up, and that um, will make more sense. Um, but yeah, that that late mid to late second round is is tough right now. Yeah, I've really just sort of found that I there's there's stuff to be annoyed by kind of wherever you're picking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it, obviously you're you're totally right about the the most desirable guys being obviously in the first half of the first round, then the second half of the second round kind of sucks. And um, I like picking at the turn and getting like two guys in the top 16, top 17, but then the guy that comes back in the third, to me, there's a bit of a drop off there too. So um, there's a, there's a sweet spot. Well, in the early DCs, uh, with like the eighth or ninth pick, ninth pick, where you could get Cole or Burns at that point, and that get one of the good hitters on the way back. Um, that was nice, but I don't think that's going to last. Uh, Cole and Burns are probably going to move up top five, um, and then the the top seven I think is going to be pretty set. So um, it'll it'll be hard to get a, a top seven guy combined with with a, a good second round hitter. Um, so I'll have to. Well, when ADP settles, figure out the math where uh, which spot I like better. And I've got a couple more early round. We're we're done making fun of my bad picks, uh, but <laughs> I've got a couple more early round sort of general questions for you. Uh, you maybe you touched on this one a little bit um, just a second ago, but who is your least favorite quote unquote speed guy relative to ADP who's going in the first thirty or forty picks? I'm going to go back to Marte. Um, like he ran a ton last year, but it's more than he's ever run. And part of that were the, were, was Oakland just letting him go wild. But I don't know if that's going to last with the Mets. Um, I'd say it's hard to count, to expect more than 30 stolen bases. Maybe he ends up stealing 35, 40, 45, but I'm expecting about 30. And in, in City Field, 10 to 15 home runs with maybe 280 average is probably what, what seems like a fair expectation. So um, for for me, out of a guy that you're not sure about the playing time, um, like those numbers are similar to Witt, but you know Witt's going to have 650 to 700 plate appearances. So um, for the, what is it, like uh, almost uh, probably 10 picks between the two, um, I think what what makes uh, makes more sense in the early third than than Marte, where he's been going. Yeah, the power the power thing with Marte is is in the end what kind of scared me off of him. Uh, honestly, with that when I was deciding between him and Trout, is I just wasn't I wasn't even sure he could get me to twelve homers. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of a scary proposition in the middle of the second round. Um, all right, what about this one? Uh, over the last three weeks in 15-team draft champions, Bueller, Scherzer, Woodruff, and Wheeler have been the order of pitchers three through six. Do you see any of those four as clearly better or clearly worse than the others? Um, I see – I have Woodruff and Wheeler ahead um, of the other two. Um, one thing I'm going to say, Bueller as a start in his career – 2.73 ERA and 3.43 XFIP. And you can look at any projections. Um, they're going to have Bueller lower than the rest because a pitcher that outperforms his metrics like that, um, 
they're really hard to account for in projections. Um, you you can look at ground ball rate, you can look at at their stuff, their movement. It's just hard to hard figure to. out why they're they're really outperforming their metrics. Um, so I won't be drafting Bueller, but it doesn't mean it's a bad pick because uh, he's outperformed his metrics for the past four years. So he can probably do it again. Uh, but I'll, I'll be staying away because I just prefer to, to stick to, to what I know. Um, Scherzer, the one thing that worries me about about him. Um, well, first, like he he's 37 and he had that that, that dead arm issue in the playoffs. And the other thing... Um, Last year, he led the league in K-minus walk ratio on 3-2 counts. Uh, and I've, I've talked a little bit about, about this before on other podcasts. Um, the 3-2 count numbers, you're, it's it's one pitch that determines whether it's it's a strikeout or a walk. Um, and there's a lot of variance in that number for, from year to year, um, especially in in, in, uh, in 2020, it was a big thing with the, small, with the, the short season uh, where a lot of numbers were misleading because of that. Um, over a full season, not as bad, but Scherzer led, led the league. I think he was at 30% and the second guy was at 20%. So there, his, his numbers, um, look better than they should. I think, uh, just because he performed well in three, two counts, but it, it's not something that usually carries over. Um, so it doesn't mean he's not a good pitcher. Um, uh, doesn't mean he won't be healthy. It's just something that tells me that his numbers last year were a little bit misleading. Uh, and it's something that um, just enough to put him uh, below the, the other two. Have you noticed that Wheeler, like it just seems to me like he was going kind of at the turn um, in December. And now his, it's just weird to me that his ADP is now the, the lowest of those four over the last three weeks. Have you? Like, I haven't. No, I haven't done too many. Um, I didn't do that many early drafts. I've always I was I was doing mostly best best balls early in draft season, so I wasn't paying that much attention to uh, to ADP. Um, I've seen him go with the term, but I, like the ADP I have is oh I think it's over the last month. It's been going around twenty. So um, I like like in every. Um, NFBC main event, it's known, it's known for pitching moving up. So, right. like, he's going to go probably late first when we, once we get the main events. There's always uh, – and even even in the – I've been doing um, the past two weeks the $1,000 DCs. And let me see where he went in this one. Uh, yeah, he went at pick 16. Uh, and he was the sixth pitcher off the board at pick 16. So, um it's a pretty good indicator of 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 what pitching is going to look like come uh, come March. All right, this last uh, early round uh, question for you: Can you see yourself taking Vlad Guerrero in the first or Freddie Freeman in the second in any of your high stakes drafts? Um, Freeman probably more likely, uh, or even Devers, uh, similar profiles. If if I get the speed in, in the first round. Uh, then I'm okay taking one of those two in the second round. Um, taking Vlad in the first and not knowing what's going to come back. Um, and like I said, I, I I don't like most of the speed guys in the second round. Um, so I, I find it risky to to take take Vlad and not know what to expect. If he slips to, I don't know, 
12 or 13. I've seen him go 12 to in a recent draft. Um, at that point, I'd probably consider it, but um, it, it's tough. I feel much better if if I get like at the turn pairing and I don't know, Freeman or Devers with Albies. Um, you're getting a little bit of everything. Uh, and that's probably more likely than taking a chance on Vlad and not knowing uh, what I'll get in the second round. All right. Um, I want to close things out asking about uh, this draft champions I alluded to that you and I were both in in December. Um, now, you had a a very interesting strategy. I think at one point people were talking in the chat about like, is, is Phil just like trolling us? Is he just going to throw us <laughs> off the set? Um, but it was really interesting to sort of see it play out. Uh, you got two starters and two closers in your first, I don't know, like seven or eight picks. And then you took nothing but hitters until round 23. And then 19 of your last 20 picks were pitchers. Um, is that, I guess, do you want to sort of maybe, uh, expand on sort of the, the thought process behind that strategy? Uh, my initial take was that maybe the easiest thing to get in the late rounds is just bulk innings from unsexy starting pitchers. Um, but it, maybe there were just guys that you knew were going to be there that you really liked this year. Uh, what was kind of the thought process behind that general strategy? Um, that's kind of the strategy I've been using for, for draft champions for a while. Um, one of the biggest thing for me, the hardest thing to do is project playing time. Um, like it is, it is for a lot of people to it. Like I usually, I just average a couple of sets of projections for playing time. And then I apply my, my rate projections to, to that playing time. So, um, in the late round DCs, you can find pitchers that are going to get 25, 30 games started, but you can't find hitters that are going to play every day. So um, I'd rather use my my skills at finding the not not really the better, but the the not as worse pitchers, I guess, um, in in the late rounds, uh, then guessing on on which hitters are are going to get promoted or which ones are going to suddenly get full time playing time. So um that's that's the main idea behind it since then though i actually went through uh all the depth charts and main manual adjustments to playing time um where i i think is is worth it um and then in my last dc i actually had nine starters by by round 27 uh just because i found a couple of hitters that i liked um probably around i guess 20 to 30 uh, which I didn't really see in the first DC we did, uh, which was, uh, was it was in December, right? So um, I just hadn't done the work at that point to, to figure out which hitters in, in rounds 20, 25, 30 were, were worth it. So um, now that I've put in the work, I feel a little more comfortable with those guys. So I'm I'm adjusting the strategy a little bit. Uh, but in, in general, I'll always, I'll, I'll, I'm always more likely to draft uh, starting pitchers late uh, just because I know they're, they're more likely to play. Yeah, I think that that's, that that totally makes sense. Um, that's interesting to me that you, so you're you're much more comfortable projecting a hitter's um, per plate appearance production rather than projecting their actual like plate appearances. 
Yeah, I mean, once once we get to March and we see like spring training lineups, we see who's who's likely to start the year once the once the free agents are done. Um, it's it's probably easier to do it at that point. But like, um, like third base with Toronto is a good example. Like Espinal um, played pretty well last year. The Jays loved them, but there's been rumors of of them saying it was it was Kyle Seager before he retired and. Um, now I guess Chris Bryant maybe, or maybe they'll sign a, a, a shortstop, but to move to third, or maybe BJ will play that. We don't know. Like, there's so many possibilities. And I think Seager before he retired, he's probably rumored to sign with ten different teams. Um, so all those ten teams were just bumping down the starters' playing time just a little bit because we don't know what's gonna happen. So um, when, like, usually there, there's there's gonna be nine starters on every team. Uh, but now there's only usually five or six that will feel comfortable in every team. And then every, all the other spots, well, it should be him, but we don't know for sure. Um, like the, the Phillies have like one outfielder right now with Harper and he might play some DH. So, uh, we know they're going to sign some guys. If they don't, then other guys are going to get the playing time. But, uh, for now, it's just so hard to guess with so many free agents that are on sign how it's going to end up. So, um, in, in in March, that's going to change, but for now, yeah, it's it's definitely easier to um, to, to project skills for me than, than playing time. So the last question I was going to ask you is about uh, the two prospects you took in this DC, but now I'm wondering if these guys are even still targets for you in that range, um, based on what we were talking about earlier. Uh, you you basically were taking mostly just kind of old, boring guys in the, the middle of the late rounds. Uh, and then you mixed in Adley Rutschman and O'Neill Cruz. And I was hoping that you could talk those guys up and, and pump up their ADP <laughs> a little bit. But uh, are those guys that maybe you're, you've cooled on a little bit since that draft? Yeah. Uh, since I did that adjustment, thanks to you, um, both those guys moved down. I think Cruz probably moved down probably 20 spots in my rankings. So in my, in my official rankings, but like even before then, um, if I was doing a thousand dollar DC and Cruz was up there, I'd always take the, the safer guy. Uh, but in the one fifty we did, where um, like I was like some people were were thinking I was trolling everyone, making random picks. I wasn't. Um, but I was playing like a one fifty DC, where trying to go for the overall shoot for the upside, and I saw those two guys. Um, pretty sure I got them after ADP uh, and. I think the, the odds are low, but there, there's um, there is a chance that Cruz is the starting shortstop and gets 550, 600 plate appearances, and that um, I, I doubt he can reach his steamer projection of, I think it's 281 batting average or something like that, but it's it's within maybe 90th percentile maybe you can get there. So um, I was just shooting for upside mixed in with my, with my regular boring old guys <laughs> that now that dc was uh that was one of mike the mouth's uh fast dcs uh is is that the greatest honor of your offseason to be invited to to mike the mouth's fast dc especially since it was marketed as the was it champions of champions draft or something like that so <laughs> we, we won't give mike too much credit but it uh it, it was cool to, to do that draft <laughs> It's too kind of you to say that. Uh, Mike's friend of the show. Um, 
Well, Phil, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I am crossing my fingers that the audio is okay. Um, do you want to let people know where they can follow you on Twitter? And I don't know if you want to pump up any of the, the future tour dates of, of your media tour, but um, anything you want to say to, to the listeners here? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at philduso 27 and then uh, next week, the the next stop in the uh, in the podcast store is the Launch and Go podcast with uh, with Rob Silver and Jeff Zinnerman and family. Uh, so uh, that should be a fun. One. It's a, it's a podcast I've I've listened to for the past two three years, uh, pretty much every week. So I'm I'm looking forward to to talking to those guys, and it uh, will be uh will be interesting. Awesome, yeah, that's a that's a great pod for sure. I'll be sure to check that out now that I've done. With this interview, I can go back and listen to, to all the other um, <laughs> podcasts. But, Phil, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this has been the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'll be back next week talking with Clay Link about my updated Top 400 Prospect ranks. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.